Proverbs chapter 20, verses 5 to 7. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and exposition of his holy word. Now, I I titled my sermon this evening, A Few Good Men, but I was reminded after I sent that off, that title off, I was reminded of the story of John Rugeley, born in 1792, and as a young man in South Carolina, dreaming of Texas, Texas, a land of adventure, Texas. And the book about him continues, then one man a bit more serious spoke of the need Texas had for men. And someone quipped, John, you'll have to go and take your six sons to Texas. John laughed and said, six or nothing, I'll have 21 sons for Texas. And so he did. The book is called, about him, is called 21 Sons for Texas. But here's the catch. Some of the sons were girls. (laughs) So too, though the verses before us speak of a man of understanding, a faithful man, a righteous man, and we need such men, I think it's appropriate for us to recognize that we also need women of understanding, faithful women, righteous women. And I want us to consider the passage before us under the three headings, draw out, look around, and walk in. It was impossible for me to figure out how to alliterate those. Uh, So we're going to look at draw out in verse 5, look around in verse 6, and walk in in verse 7. We want to be wise, faithful, and righteous. Wise, faithful, and righteous. And Proverbs chapter 20, verses 5 to 7, offers us advice on how to do just that. We'll first draw out. That's verse 5 of chapter 20. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What we aim to do, what we hope to do, what we plan to do can be mysterious even to ourselves. We may not know what we really desire deep down. And the proverb uses the image of deep water. And sometimes our hearts, the purpose of our hearts, are hidden from us. We know something is lurking down there in the, underneath the surface, but we're not quite sure what. And a man of understanding or a woman of understanding will draw it out. He'll talk to us, ask us questions. She'll inquire about our hopes and dreams and help us understand our hearts 
desire. Notice that sometimes wise counselors make us aware of our hopes and dreams. They help us appreciate the hidden purpose deep beneath the surface of the water. Sometimes our friends help us perceive a duty, an obligation that we have in the Christian life that we'd rather brush aside, we, we want to avoid, and someone comes along and draws out the purpose deep in our hearts. And this is not an image, I think, of coercion or force. It's more of, of luring, of drawing out. Now, sometimes we'll have to gently kind of tug on the line in order to get somebody to realize what she really wants to do or what the Lord really wants him to do. Sometimes that's how it works. But sometimes we have to jump into the water and get wet and really be with people for some time. It is a sensitive operation requiring thoughtfulness. Now, sometimes we have to entreat people to do what they need to do that only they can do. And we just have to wait and see. Frederick, Maryland, October 10th, 1788. Quote, We cannot, sir, do without you. And I and thousands more can explain to anybody but yourself why we cannot do without you. That's Thomas Jefferson to George Washington, imploring him to become the first president of the United States. I heard one historian, perhaps tongue-in-cheek because there's a book about Washington with the title, but I heard one historian say that George Washington, that history has uh, generally no indispensable men, but George Washington was such an indispensable man. George Washington did not want to be president of the United States. He wanted to retire at Mount Vernon, and indeed in a, a letter to his friend Henry Knox, Dated April 1st, 1789, Washington writes, My movements to the chair of government will be accompanied with feelings not unlike those of a culprit who is going to the place of his execution. And yet, Washington served his country well. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, I think that the application is clear. If the purpose of your heart is like deep water, then you should surround yourself with men and women of understanding who will draw out the purpose of your heart that is hidden to you. We should come alongside each other and be willing to say, I'm stuck. I don't, I don't even understand what it is that I want and seek counsel. 
That is a good and healthy thing. That's what we should do as a church. Additionally, we should be that friend to somebody else. Now, I'm not saying that we should be nosy, busybodies, getting into each other's business, but I do think that we should be willing to sacrifice our time and talent in order to come alongside people and draw out the purpose that may be hidden from their hearts. Now, I doubt that anyone uh, in, in the congregation this evening will become president of the United States, and I can't imagine that it's a great job anyway, but we are all ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of speaking in his name. And so we should, and we should take that seriously, for we have a high calling with an eternal reward. So that's the first point. Draw out from verse 5. Now let's look around in verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Faithful man who can find. We'll look around. Be cautious. Boasters are not to be trusted. Now, notice that it's not loud people that we should not trust. Uh, (laughs) uh, For those of you who are loud, you know, you should take comfort. But boasters are not to be trusted. There was a man in our presbytery who is now no longer in our presbytery that whenever he said publicly, now I just love so-and-so, you knew that he was going to throw him under the bus. Don't be like that. Don't be the boaster of your own steadfast love. And also, don't be duped. Don't be taken in. One commentator notes on this passage, this proverb is one of many that does not offer direct advice, but instead registers a cautionary observation about human behavior. So my, my heading of look around is my direct advice based on the indirect advice given in this verse. There are people who proclaim their steadfast love loudly, and they will betray you. There are those who are quiet, but they will be faithful to the very end. When trouble comes your way, where do you turn? Well, that's, that's your friend, right? That's your faithful friend who stands with you in adversity. Better that there be someone who is willing to suffer in silence than a loud boaster of steadfast love who will drop you and run at any difficulty or conflict. As Atticus Finch tells Jim in Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, I wanted you to see what real courage is instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. Covenant Church, look around. 
You know, when you look to, to nominate officers of the church, look around, right? It's not those who boast in steadfast love. It's those who live according to the gospel. Remember what I preached on this morning, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. I'll read it here. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So draw out and look around. Now, finally, in verse seven, we have the righteous who walks in his integrity. Blessed are his children after him. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. The righteous man, that is the one who does what the Lord requires, who lives justly, walks in his integrity. That sounds like something that people say, you know, authentic integrity. But what does it really actually mean? What does it mean to walk in integrity? The word occur, the word that we translate integrity occurs in the Bible numerous times and can mean anything from completeness to innocence. I think there's an appropriate parallel to our passage in Genesis chapter 20. In Genesis chapter 20, if you remember, Abraham, uh, not exhibiting uh, particularly great courage, is uh, willing for his wife, Sarah, to be taken by Abimelech, a pagan king, as his wife, even though she's married to Abraham. So it's not, it's not the picture of courageous, uh, being a courageous husband, in case you were wondering. So the Lord appears to Abimelech, this pagan king in a dream, and he tells him he's a dead man because he's taken another man's wife. And in Genesis 20, verse 5, Abimelech pleads his case with the Lord. He says, did he not himself, speaking of Abraham, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then what's the Lord's response? Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So I think that integrity, walking in integrity, means that you don't sin against your own conscience, that what you have decided is the right thing to do, you actually do it. So somebody who walks in integrity acts according to his judgment about what is right. He does not say one thing and do another. He does not say this is the right way and walk in another. No, he walks the way that he thinks he should. Proverbs 19 verse 1 
gets to in the previous chapter gets at this sense of the word integrity. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. A man with integrity is a straight talker and is no fool. And the proverb that's before us in chapter 20 says, um, this man, blessed are his children after him. So Proverbs are usually um, uh, two kind of couplets, which Robert Alter calls a verset. It's like a little versito, like a little tiny verse. And so here you see how um, this is actually uh, the translators of the English Standard Version that I'm using kind of gets the, the punchiness of it, right? It's not the righteous who walks in his integrity will see his children blessed after him. There really is a kind of the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So I would try to make it a, a rap song or something to convey the punchiness, but I, I won't. I'll save my family the humiliation. So now most obviously when we talk about the children of a man walking in integrity, we think of his biological descendants. You know, a man of integrity wants his children to walk in integrity too. But with 1 John chapter 2 fresh on our minds, I'll remind you of the way that John addresses the non-biological recipients of his letter. What does he call them? My little children, my, my hijitos, right? My little children, my kiddos. He is loving and tender. And I sincerely hope that all of the children now in Covenant Church Fayetteville will walk in the faith in which they're being raised. And for those who have been raised in the church and have wandered off into the far country, my hope is the Lord and his kindness will draw them back to himself for his own glory. But regardless, we should look around and we should see the legacy we have in the church. Some of you are grandparents to my children, parents to me and to Catherine, and are older brothers to me in ministry. I say this quite sincerely. It is a wonderful thing to belong to a spiritual family. We have a family here at Covenant Church, and this spring, Paul celebrates 40, our senior pastor, for those visiting, Paul celebrates 40 years of gospel ministry. And I hope that 40 years from now, Covenant Church will still be a place where the word is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, and there is godly discipline. We too often focus on our near-term struggles, and these are, in fact, great. But I read something recently from one of our missionaries, Stephen Atkinson, which reminded me that we should have a longer-term view. And someone sent me a uh, video that where a missionary from our church was interviewed and 
It was about Iranians going into Armenia and finding hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I typed up because I love you so much. I actually transcribed a quote for you. So here's what he said. Those that are coming from Iran are so excited to meet a Christian and to listen. And in fact, we have seen many, I mean hundreds, have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We hope that a hundred years from now, there will be a Presbyterian church of Iran that will be free to preach the gospel in that country. Maybe they'll be sending missionaries to America. The legacy of righteous integrity continues from generation to generation to generation. In my own family, I was my um, grandparents, my maternal grandparents had a, uh, some writing that was framed and put on a wall. And as a young man, after my grandparents, I think after they died, my parents got it and put it up on the wall. And I realized that it was a sermon. It was a sermon on the parable of the lost sheep. And so I was reading something that was written by my ancestor. And you know what I thought? I believe every word. I believe every word. And so too may it be that 40 years from now, 140 years from now, here in this place, there will be people who will be our spiritual great, 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 great grandchildren. Even if we never have any biological children, we can have a rich spiritual legacy. James Oglethorpe laying on the coast of America in present-day Savannah, Georgia, in 1733. The original charter for the colony outlawed slavery and promoted religious toleration. Jews arrived in Savannah that same year and by 1735 had organized a synagogue that is still in operation. Religious toleration meant that even those from Scotland could establish, according to King George II, a place of public worship for the use and benefit of such of our loving subjects as are and shall be professors of the doctrines of the Church of Scotland agreeable to the Westminster Confession of Faith. The church was established in 1755 with Joachim Zubli as the first minister. He also served in the Continental Congress. Why? in the world am I reading this to you? It's because it's Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia, which is a sister congregation of ours in the Presbyterian Church in America, a church whose minister, Terry Johnson, still preaches the same gospel that was preached 268 years ago at its founding. And in fact, I did a... um, I was uh, part of a colloquium in Savannah, Georgia, and Doug Nystrom kindly arranged for me to have tea with Terry Johnson, the minister of this church. So take heart, be excited, pray diligently. The Lord is doing something great here, and he will do great things in the future. 
So draw out, look around, and walk in. Surround yourself with people who will help you understand the purposes of your heart. Don't listen to what boasters say. Instead, pay attention to how people live. Look for faithful men and women who are walking in the way of the Lord Jesus. And finally, you yourself walk in integrity. Walk with a clear conscience towards God and neighbor. And may we see the Lord himself, the blessed one, bless the children of this church, both biological and spiritual, for generations to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great joy it is that you love us, that you guide and help us. Lord, we are ignorant and we need clarity. We are unwise and need your wisdom. We are easily deceived and we need your truth. And we are frail and weak and so we need your strength. Give us these things, we pray, for the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.